Hello, I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for a cup of happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why, and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. You won't find an individual more qualified to speak about happiness than my guest today. He's the CEO of the Happiness Research Institute in Denmark. He's also the best-selling author of the book, Hugo, which I totally forgot to ask him about. And I'm kicking myself because it's really a lovely thing to talk about and covers how much joy you get from a cup of tea. I know it sounds random, but check it out. Anyway, we delve into the reasons why some societies might be happier than others and how he's gone about working this out. Mike is a lovely man and I really enjoyed speaking to him. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Thanks for having me. It's great. I'm so intrigued by your life. Okay. <laughs> I mean, your job is very interesting, but your life is more interesting to All me. Right. Where were you born? Denmark. In the city, in the countryside? Countryside. Like, what is... Countryside, okay. but moved to Copenhagen about 20 years ago. But lived in Australia, Spain, Mexico for a bit. But, uh, ah. but Copenhagen is my base. So you travel a lot. Do you have a lot of siblings? Just one older brother. He lives in one of those neighborhoods with the perfect grass. Oh, he does? <laughs> <laughs> Bless your brother. Okay, go on. So tell me about the moment where you were like, do you know what? This is an important job. And even though it's a risk, I'm going to do it. Right. Why? I need to know why. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, I was working for another think tank at the time. This was back in, in 2010. 12, uh, and I had been there for about seven years, uh, and it was a think tank focusing on sort of the green economy, sustainability, which was great, but I also started to see how much was happening with happiness, well-being, quality of life as a new measure of progress. Uh, so the year before, uh, the UN had passed a happiness resolution. Uh, they started to publish their World Happiness Report. You saw different governments starting to measure well-being as a new measure of um, progress. And I thought there should be somebody in Denmark trying to pool the knowledge there is in this field. There should be somebody trying to understand why does Denmark often do well in these happiness rankings. There should be somebody trying to create a think tank on happiness. Right. And then I thought maybe I should do that. You definitely should um, and you should always continue. Right. I wonder how do they make those reports if, if they didn't have the think tank? Right. So that is a report that is UN commissioned. Uh, the three editors are from the University of British Columbia, John Halliwell and uh, LSE, so London School of Economics, uh, Richard Layard in, in the UK, and then mm -hmm. Jeffrey Sachs from Columbia University in the US. So they are the three editors. They used data from the Gallup World Poll. So Gallup collects data from 155 countries and have asked questions around uh, life satisfaction. So that's how they came up with that. Okay. So happiness is relative to the person, right? So what makes me happy maybe won't make you happy. True. So how can they believe the poll? It must be very difficult. It is difficult. That's, that's why I've gone gray in my early 30s. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not impossible. And it's true. I mean, happiness is subjective. Happiness is mm. individual. Like a lot of other things are subjective and individual. I mean, your definition of loneliness or stress mm. or depression is probably also different from my definition of you on stress, loneliness, and depression. But that said, we see a lot of common denominators when we look at what do people want to include in a good life and what do people think of happiness um, i think whether we are you know english or danish or chinese all of us would probably want 
ourselves and our families to be healthy and happy. I think all of us would like to have enough sort of basic resources to not worry about financial constraints and have the freedom to choose a life that we want. Um, I think a lot of us would like to have great friendships, a, a loving spouse, uh, and so on. So, so I think the ingredients in happiness are fairly similar when we look across different countries and cultures. Mm. How important is love? I always want to know this because I, I have a theory. I think that everything is about love, every single thing. Like I think we wake up in the morning and brush our teeth because of love. I think we go to work because of love. I think sometimes we don't go to work because of love. That's my theory, and I don't know how true that is, but I feel like maybe there's like a quest for love, that a lack of love or a wanting for it or being in, inside of it. I just feel like that's the, that's the reason why we exist and that's why we reproduce, I suppose. Right. So how important is that and how, how aware are people? I, I think it's a good theory, and... I mean, we can find evidence in the data for that theory. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. So, Excellent. but I think also, I mean, I think we should just rewind a little bit because when we talk about happiness, I think what we need to do is we need to break it down and look at the different components, right? Because it's an umbrella term and that's whether you talk about happiness or well-being or quality of life, it's, it's a really wide concept. So when we try and measure happiness, we look at overall life satisfaction but we also look at what kind of emotions people experience on a daily basis, both positive and negative ones. And then we look at whether people have a sense of purpose and meaning in life. And then mm. we can start to see which factors impact these three different dimensions of, of well-being. And of course, they're overlapping. If you have a lot of positive emotions in your everyday, you probably report higher levels of life satisfaction. But you can have lousy days with, you know, still a high level of life satisfaction, so they're not completely overlapping. But mm. we start to see what factors impact what. And there's very few factors that impact all of these dimensions. But one of those are love, if you will, or relationships. So money might impact life satisfaction. It's not going to impact your sense of purpose in life. Kids you know, are wonderful for a sense of purpose. They have mixed results in, in sort of life satisfaction, depends on where we live in the world. But uh, relationships is the one factor that, that impact all of these uh, three dimensions. Yeah, with children, I suppose some people become happier exponentially and then some people become overwhelmed and very stressed out. It can go the opposite direction, can't right. it? Um, we, we see that people report more extreme emotions uh, when they have kids, right? extreme joy, extreme sense of, of love and purpose, but also uh, increased sense of stress and, and worry. It's, it's a full mm. package. Gosh, it can get quite heavy. So the purpose of these studies is to make the world a better place, I imagine, right? Yes. So basically the man or woman in control, our presidents and our prime ministers, they really need to take heed of this in order to put it into play, right? I mean, you, you're absolutely correct. At the end of the day, we are trying to make the world a better place. My, mm. my work and I think all the things we do here at the, the Institute are trying to, we're trying to answer three questions. So we, we try, first of all, to understand how we can measure well-being or happiness. Secondly, why some people are happier than others. But ultimately, the third question is that one. Um, you know, how can we improve quality of life? So when we know what we know from studies and data and evidence, how should we design our you know, cities differently, our policies differently, our lives differently, basically. That, that's what we're trying to do. Would a happier nation mean a more, a richer nation? Because I think the people like, I don't know, the prime minister, the president, you know, people that have um, the means and the way to actually make a change, I think all they really care about is money, it seems. So to keep their countries lucrative seems to be at the top of the list of jobs to do. And if they don't do that job, they get into massive shit. So um, I feel like that's like the focus, but they often forget about the other 50% of their job, which is the well-being and the happiness and the peace amongst their people. Right. Is there a way to show them what you're studying and say, hey, this actually, you will make more money if people are happier? Uh, we you actually, to talk to their wallet. Uh, we, we, no, we, we talk to their self-interest. Okay. We will tell them that you are more likely to get re-elected 
Ah, okay. Yep. <laughs> if you <laughs> right? care about well-being. But, but ah, of, that's true. But of course, I mean, the, the focus traditionally have been on GDP. It has been on growth. It has been on wealth in terms of what countries measure and in terms of what countries or political leaders focus on. But we are seeing more and more countries pivot towards other things, not just the standard of living, but also quality of life. And of course, the, the classic example here is Bhutan, that since the early 70s have, have created something they call gross national happiness and focus on that instead of gross national product. So every political decision there is based on, is this going to improve quality of life for people or not? And we're seeing more countries moving in that direction. Uh, right now, a greater share of the world population is in love with New Zealand and uh, what's going on with their political leadership. Um, and what, what New, Zealand, New Zealand did last year was uh, to pass their first well-being budget. So if you want to take part in the national budget or if you're coming up with a proposal to, to take a share of the national budget, that has to come with an assessment on how is this going to impact well-being for people. Um, so, so we are seeing governments looking at new measures for progress, and we are seeing governments focusing on well-being and not just wealth. But I think the key question for countries right now is how do we convert wealth into well-being? Because we have, as a world and as many countries, become richer without necessarily becoming happier. And that is becoming increasingly difficult, I think, as we grow richer. Mm. Where's the highest rate of suicide? Is it a rich or poor country? Right now, if you look globally, it is poorer countries. Uh, so Sri Lanka has the latest data I saw, uh, the highest suicide rate globally. But you also have high rates in, in richer countries. So if you take OECD countries, which are all of them fairly rich countries, the highest suicide rate is in South Korea with 24 per 100,000. I think in the UK, it's about 11 per 100,000. So is money a big part of why they're topping themselves or is it more of a mental health? Different reasons in different countries. Um, right. So in some countries, in the richer countries, one of the reasons for a high level of suicide there might be that people run out of explanations for why they are unhappy. So oh. if you are living in a rich society, if you see there is plenty of opportunity and you have large level of freedom and all these things, why do I still feel unhappy? Oh, they're just sad because they're, they're clinically depressed, right? It is. I mean, it, it's a super complicated area, but it's interesting to see, uh, for instance, suicide risk is higher if you are unemployed, Right. It's a higher risk if you are unemployed in an area with low unemployment. Because right. if you're unemployed and 50% of your friends are unemployed, then it's the economy that's the issue and you have somebody to, to spend time with. It's not you that's the issue. But if you're the only one unemployed, then suddenly you start to, to internalize the, the, the problem. And we see a higher oh. risk of, of suicide in those cases. And of course, also access to different Methods for suicide also explains the variance. Uh, so in the Nordic countries, we see Finland having the highest suicide amongst the uh, five Nordic countries. And I've been explained that that has to do with a high level of um, gun ownership. Uh, in, oh. in Finland. How does America rank in that, famously having a lot of guns? You have far more people taking their own lives in the US uh, than are killed by other people. So suicide is a bigger issue than, than homicide in, in the U.S. No way. Um, yes. I did not know that. And what we also see, I think, within the U.S. states is actually that there is a little bit of a happiness suicide paradox, uh, meaning that the happier states, if you look at life satisfaction, you see a slightly higher level of suicide. So mm. Hawaii, as I remember, are one of the happier states if you look at life satisfaction, but they also have a slightly higher suicide rate. The theory there is that, again, we compare ourselves to other people. If I feel unhappy but are surrounded by extremely happy people, that can create a stronger contrast uh, and my unhappiness might be uh, a bigger burden to It to gets carry. more extreme. Yeah. I've watched a few things and I can't remember which talk it was on, but you said there was a study where a group of people had access to social media fully and then they didn't for one week 
and they got happier, like in a week. The idea of people seeing other people's happiness, making them sad, I guess maybe that's jealousy or they're looking at their own lives and feeling like, oh, it's not as good as that person's life. And, and it's like a constant feed of something that can turn into depression. I was worried when I heard that little story because I consider it my job to make people feel happy. Mm. That, that's the job or to make people feel heard or comforted. That's the job of, I guess, a singer or a writer or an artist or something. Um, and then I started to question every single thing that I've been doing. I'm like, oh, no, am I making people upset? You know, because the idea of it is like, oh, gosh, okay, well, maybe I should post some sad moments right. as well. I think, I think we should also post... Honesty. What, yeah, what, what yeah. life really looks like, right? Because in, in any human life, there's going to be periods and days of struggle and hardship and heartbreak and whatnot, right? And, and that's right. part of the human experience. That's real. Um, but let me, let me comfort you with a, a follow-up study. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> I need the comfort. <laughs> so, so we did a, a follow-up study to that study you mentioned uh, last year, where we looked at how do people use social media? And we see a difference between passive use and active use. So passive use is, as you described before, where you use social media as a benchmark or social media to compare your life up against what seems to be other people's perfect lives. And that can seem to have a negative effect. Uh, but if you use social media in an active way uh, to actually connect with people, um, and I think a lot of us have done that, especially during these times, during lockdown towns, we, we used social media or digital platforms to connect with other people while maintaining a social distance. And then it can be uh, actually uh, having a, a positive impact. So I think we should look at social media as a tool. Like many other tools, they can be used for good and bad. Uh, so it depends what, what you do with them. Right. You have to be very careful. It's like being the only guy in the village that doesn't have a job. Yes. It's just constant and in your face right would you suggest it's a good idea to put down your phone for a week every now and then as like a detox could be but also i mean for some especially these days it's it's a way to connect with other people so i i think it depends on how you use your phone mm. it's definitely um an addiction i would say i mean there have been studies Oh, another thing, talking about addiction. I watched a documentary on Adderall the other day. You know the drug they give to children in America to make them... Oh, my God. Mike, this is terrible. Why are you doing that? This is very common here. They give Adderall to little kids. Their parents go to... I can only imagine this, and I'm sure I'll be corrected when people hear it, but there isn't a person that I know here that hasn't taken it or their kids haven't taken it really. It's like super common and it is meth basically. That's what it is. It's just like a slightly different version of it, but that's what it is. And it helps people focus. So that's why they give it to little children because what do children do? They run around screaming and they kick things and they break things and they get bored really quickly. And if their teacher's not interesting, they don't listen to their teacher. So they take their tiny little children to the doctor and they say, oh my God, he's just crazy. And instead of the doctor saying, well, that's because he's a child... <laughs> he says, don't worry, love, I'll give you some drugs. So they give these kids this drug called Adderall, which I believe they take throughout their schooling years. They become addicted to it. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is because you speak about flow. And when I was listening to these people talking about what this drug did, it was exactly the same. It helps us completely focus. Everything becomes like easy and fluid and you kind of get lost in what you're doing mm. so as far as studying goes or even being in a conversation they're just in like a hundred percent in and we all love that feeling I get that sometimes when I'm singing not from a drug but I suppose technically mm. it is a drug because our brain is creating those chemicals now okay so you speak about flow with regards to happiness First of all, can everybody experience flow 
and has and are people even aware of that and the idea of using a drug to replicate it is worrisome to me mm. you know it's like can we go to the doctor and sort our sort our hearts out so i mean can everybody experience flow i would assume so mm-hmm. so i mean flow are just these moments where we lose sort of track of time where we lose the sense of self where we finally don't have that voice in the back of our minds where we question everything we've ever done mm-hmm. uh, and as you know that's a quite pleasant state to be in you get it, it when you sing i get it when i write or when i do spearfishing or whatever right yeah. i think that's a common experience to have but whether we should take drugs to artificially have that experience i'm not sure but i'm reminded of the matrix uh, which oh, was yeah. basically the blue um, pill or the red right. pill it's it's an old thought experiment actually from the 70s and the question is of course would you take now in in matrix it's a pill uh, back in the 70s the thought experiment was would you be put in a machine First, you're interviewed, you know, and you're interviewed about your perfect life. You know, what would your job be? Did you want a job? You know, what's the characteristics of your spouse and so on and so on. And then you have the option to go in a machine where you will experience this perfect life. And you will think that it is your real life, but of course it's not. You are lying in a machine. Mm -hmm. And then people are asked whether they would take that or whether they would experience, you know, the authentic life, the real (laughs) life with all the brutal elements uh, it also includes. Difficult decision, actually. Difficult decision. Um, What would you pick? Oh, depends what day it is, but (laughs) it really does. I think it's funny we're talking about the blue pill or the red pill because I was talking about that just three days ago with a friend of mine. And I was saying, no, no, no. I want to stay in the, um, I want to be ignorant. (laughs) I don't want to go and find out what's behind the scenes. It's horrible. (laughs) I just want to be happy, even if it's not true. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a facts or feeling, right? Right. Which one do you want? You want the facts or you want the feeling? Yeah, yeah. I kind of want the feeling a lot of the time. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Unless you want to make a change, unless you really want to be proactive and productive, then you need the facts. Right. It's like whether you want to go on holiday or whether you want to go to work. Yeah. It's up to you, right? Right. Depends what day it is. But yeah, I mean, I think it also depends on how we phrase the question because being locked in a machine also sounds kind of scary. Sounds horrible, yeah. But what what if instead we were asked... Imagine you woke up and there's a scientist there saying, listen, Josh, uh, you are actually hooked up in a machine and you are living in a made-up world. Every 10 years, we are obliged in our contract to wake you up and ask whether you want to continue with this or whether you want to return to the real world. Oh, my God. With that framing, I think more people would stick with the machine and say, "Mm." What I know is pretty good. I'll, I'll take yeah. this. I'm not sure what the other thing is. So I think it, it also depends on, on how we frame it. Um, so we are, we're actually trying to collect some data on this. Gosh. What would people choose? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, we are just in the final stages of finishing our uh, small happiness museum here in Copenhagen. Um, A museum? Which will open here in, in, in uh, July. What's in it? It's a tour around happiness. So, okay. so we'll look at the science of happiness. We'll look at the politics of happiness, uh, geography of happiness. And this question will also be part of it. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a small museum, but about the big questions in life. Uh, so we're, we're trying to get some data on, on that exact question, actually. Mm, interesting. It is different each day. Do you consider that when you're doing the study? So maybe yeah. you would ask somebody the same question once a week or... Exactly. You do that? Yeah. Yeah, so, and they change their mind sometimes? I, I certainly would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also when we ask people about happiness, they also change mm-hmm. answers depending on what day of the week it is. If we ask them how happy are you right now or mm-hmm. how happy were you yesterday? With those kind of questions, um, we see a lot of volatility. We can see and, and, and brace yourself, but people are happier on Fridays and Saturdays than they are on Mondays. Shock horror. <laughs> um, no, so so you're the, there's, a, me. there's a weekend effect. But <laughs> if you take the question like life satisfaction, so how satisfied are you with your life or how happy you are with your life, 
we can't see any day of the week effect on that one. So it depends also how you frame questions. That's also why you need to follow people over time to sort of control for some of these things and control for big events like the corona crisis, for instance. Oh, yeah. Right? But you can, I mean, when you ask people about happiness now or happiness yesterday, you can see impact of a lot of different events uh, on these things. You could, you could see when Trump was elected, for instance. Um, that was yeah, a, how was that? It was it was not good. Yeah. So so there's depends a, where you are though. Right. If if you've voted for him, then you're super happy, and yeah. if you haven't, then you ain't. Yeah. But, you know. But there's a super cool study in the UK called Mappiness, uh, where people are being tracked via their phones and, and asked every day how happy they are right now. Oh. And November 9th was the unhappiest day in the course of the study, the day after Trump was elected uh, because of the really. How many people were um, part of that study? I think they have more than 40,000 people participating in the study. So, Do you then have to consider the type of people that would be happy to be part of that study? Yes, there is a bias effect. Um, also, the type of people in that study would be younger people because it's tech-based. So that means that you will have more uh, younger people. It's also why you, you would see in that study, 2016, the fourth unhappiest day was Brexit. Uh, and of course, uh, a bit over half the population thought that was a great idea. But, but it, it comes up quite high in the unhappy days in, in 2016 because younger people voted to remain. So that's why it shows up mm. as an unhappy day. So of course, all these things you would need to control for. Yeah, because you'd need to kind of have a pulse on who would want to be part of such a, such a study. Yeah. A, they're going to be younger because it's tech, but also maybe they're going to be more left-wing because it's more feeling-based. Yeah. I don't really know, but I, I assume that people that are more right-wing are right. more um, statistics-based. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, the best studies are where you have a representative sample of the population mm. and you follow a large group of people over time. And in Europe, for instance, we have something called the Survey for uh, health and aging and retirement in Europe, where you have followed, I think, 140,000 people since 2002 in 29 European t- countries. So we, we actually use that data set to see how different diseases impact your well-being or your happiness. Because you have a large population followed over a long period of time, you know, people are diagnosed with different diseases during the course of the study. And they're asked, every year or every two years about life satisfaction and, and all sorts of different questions. Then we can start to see when a person is diagnosed with Parkinson or cancer or Alzheimer's and so on, how big a drop in their life satisfaction do can we observe compared to a similar group without the disease? It must be a huge drop in happiness, right? Yeah. But we can also use it to look at positive events or positive you know, things in life. And coming back to your question about love, when we just look at, at big data sets, we can see people in relationships are on average happier. But we can't necessarily see just with those data sets whether you get happy from being in a relationship or whether people who are happy in the first place have an easier time attracting a partner. Mm. But when you follow ah. people over time, you, st- you start to get evidence on that. So in, in the UK, in Germany, they have those studies where people have been followed. And there you can see, let's say you, you follow you know, 20,000 people over 20 years and maybe 2,300 people get married over that time. And there you can see, okay, in year zero, in year one, in year two, but also in year minus one, minus two, and so on, how did life satisfaction do? And yes, you can see even two years before the wedding takes place, life satisfaction starts to go up. Probably people meet uh, the oh. special someone, you find out how much they have in common and, and, uh, and so on. Because they're in a better space. Yes. But also then when you rewind the clock and you go back to the start of the study and you see who were those 2,300 people that end up getting married during the course of the study, you also see they actually also reported a slightly higher level of life satisfaction. So both things are, are true in, in the sort of cause and effect uh, question. Hmm. That's... Um scary for the people that aren't happy at the beginning yeah it's like they um have less of a chance somehow so can they change that can they make a choice is happiness a choice um well it's sometimes a choice 
I think I think we have an influence. I think we have a choice of perspective. But I think there's also some things that impact our happiness that we're not in control over. What? So, you know, the current state of things in our countries. Uh, so right. obviously <laughs> the least happy countries these days are countries that are torn by war or civil war, right? Yeah. We can go to people in those countries and say, listen, guys, happiness is a choice, right? They, they live under horrible conditions. Yeah. Um, so, so, yes, part of it is a choice. You know, I also have some influence, some choice over my health condition, right? I can choose a healthy diet. I can choose to exercise. I can choose not to smoke. But I'm also born with a certain genetic setup that makes me predisposed for some diseases. Uh, I'm also living in a special country, you know, where air pollution might be higher or lower or where the quality of the healthcare service might be higher or lower. So, so some things I'm in control over, some things I'm not. And I think the same goes with, with happiness. Health is a big thing. I feel like you can have everything in the world, but if you don't have your health, it's so horrid. Right. It's just so hard to be in a good mood when you're in pain. I always like to think that everything's a choice, <laughs> but it's not. You're completely right. Yeah, really I mean, we, we can see there's a genetic component also in, in happiness. Um, so, so It's nice to feel like you have some sort of control over your, the outcome of your life, isn't it? You know, you can write your own story, but actually there are things that you do get dealt a certain amount of cards. I, yeah. And then you have to decide where shall, we, where shall you play them. Exactly. I think that's the right metaphor. So then you don't have to be depressed about your cards. You just have to go, okay. I'll pop this one over there first yeah. and try to keep um, a positive mindset. You know, the idea of anything being possible, I think, helps happiness, even if it's not true. And there's the blue pill or the red pill. Yes. And then, then I think also sort of understanding which ingredients would be nice on a plate called happiness, right? That, yes, we want a sort of an overall satisfaction with life. Yes, we want to have a sense of purpose and meaning in life, but we also want to experience joy and connection and pleasure on, on a daily basis. I think, you know, good life is also about enjoying a, a great meal with a good friend or having something we're passionate about, whether that's music or writing or dogs, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and sort of trying to include those different ingredients in our lives, basically. Purpose, I think, is quite important. When people don't have purpose, oh, life can get boring and then it's not happy. Do you think, or do the studies show more to the point? Um, <laughs> you see there's a high level of correlation between the two yeah. now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Are some people scared of being happy because they may lose their purpose in the quest for happiness maybe? Or do they avoid it uh, at all? I think there are some cultural differences in whether happiness is a good thing or a bad thing. So if you take some Eastern European countries, there is a somewhat proverbs over there that if you are smiling too much, you're not that intelligent. Um, oh. That, you know, being yeah. sort of having a negative outlook on life means that you're more intelligent. That you're more thoughtful. Right? Yeah. I also, I, I still remember my first interview in Lithuania, which was a couple of years ago, and uh, sat down with a journalist and he said, as the first thing, I don't want to talk about happiness, I want to talk about death. So death. we talked about death for an hour. And in other cu uh, cultures, you will have the idea that your happiness in life is limited. So if you are very happy one year, you will detract from your happiness account. So there you would also try perhaps to sort of tone your happiness down because you might run out right oh no um, so, where is that um i can't remember the specific countries but i i remember they were um asian countries asia yeah. gosh some interesting thought processes over there um well i mean buddhist countries can be quite interesting in how they in how they work that's why i find bhutan so interesting because the idea that if you're born with a disability that, you know, karma would say that you deserve it, you know, that is a strange thought process that I don't really understand. Oh. And, I, and I don't think it gives an opportunity for happiness. Yet that's one of the countries that's ranked the highest. So that's, that's interesting. 
gosh. Okay, tell me more. I need to know more about these travels. <laughs> I don't want to run out. No, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged these days by seeing how much interest there is in happiness and, and happiness research, that we're seeing more governments trying to measure these softer measures, that we're seeing more and more young people uh, interested in happiness studies. So right now you have the biggest courses both on Harvard and Yale in the U.S. on mm-hmm. happiness uh, and the good life. How can they use it, not just in their lives, but in, in work, in their professions going forward, if, if they're going to study it? I, I think how can are, they put that into play like you are today? I, I think they're basically just being taught about these matters that we also talk about now, uh, you know, what drives happiness, how to measure it, and why some people are happier than others. And, and I think it's good to be aware of what causes happiness and what not causes happiness. And I think a lot of people have been looking for happiness in the wrong places and just equating money with happiness, uh, for instance. And yes, money matters, but less than people think. And especially after a certain point, you know, additional $100 or 100 euros is not going to impact how you feel about life or what kind mm-hmm. of emotions you experience on a daily basis. Of course, if you are poor, then money matters more. If money is a question of whether you can put food on the table, of course, yeah. money matters. So, so the mechanism here is being without money is a cause of unhappiness. Uh, but at a certain level, additional $100 uh, you know, doesn't have any marginal effect uh, on your happiness. So I think the key question for a lot of people is to become better at understanding how we can convert the wealth we have into well-being and sort of make that the primary compass that we are navigating from. Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a trick, I think. People think money is, is the key to it. and It's really not. You know, you, you can be the richest man on the planet and not have anyone. Right. And then you're miserable, you know. So when women go back to a man that's abused them, I always wonder whether that's um, that's that fear of, of feeling free. And I wonder if it's some, not some, but mo- us all, I think, we're all comfortable where we're comfortable, what we've learned, what we've been taught. And that could be a horrible thing. You know, you may be comfortable being beaten every day. Not comfort like a hug, but just comfort like, I know this, I understand. You know, some people have become comfortable and okay with a really shit situation and then when they're pulled out of it they get immediately uncomfortable Hmm. they may have the opportunity to be happier it's obvious they have the opportunity to be happier it's quite clear they're not going to be beaten every day but they go back to what they know and that's why I was kind of considering whether people could be are they afraid of happiness or are they just comfortable with um the difficult the difficulties in life right so I remember data uh, from a study in, in, in Mexico where they looked at the effect of violence on life satisfaction. Right. As you would imagine, it has a negative effect. But in Mexico, a lot of different sorts of, of, of violence, um, like in uh, many other countries. Of course, you have the sort of random act of violence that you know, you're mocked or violently attacked in the street, or you have domestic abuse, for instance, or mm-hmm. domestic violence. Um, and what I remember from that study quite, quite clearly was how much worse domestic violence seems to be than violence committed by a stranger. Right. Because if your home is not a safe zone, if you are constantly living in fear of being attacked by somebody from within your house, mm-hmm. then it has a much larger effect on happiness, on life satisfaction and quality of life than these random acts uh, that could happen in, in, on the street. Um, yeah. So that's not an answer to your question, but it was just... It's just interesting. Yeah. There's lots of reasons why it's hard to leave, but once you've left, going back is, is another thing. You know, I've visited lots of women's safe houses, and um, when I speak to the ladies that run it, they say the hardest, most confusing thing is when they go back. But then there's love to consider there. You know, love is a difficult thing to understand and to fight against as well. Yeah. But there's a massive lack of love in that. But the happiness, as far as happiness goes, and if one is to consult the happiness scale, the choice would be to not go there, which makes me think maybe people are are uncomfortable with what they're not used to. And in that regard could be happiness. But I think it's 
it's, it's part of perhaps of a larger pattern, pattern that we are perhaps not always good at predicting what will make us happy. Mm. And we are looking for happiness in the wrong places and we are making sometimes wrong decisions because we think route A will lead to more happiness than B, but, but actually it was the other way around. So I think it's a symptom of a, of a, of, of a bigger issue here also. Mm. Were you ever a therapist? No, I studied sociology, no. but we are, we are quite a diverse group at the Happiness Research Institute. Everything from physicists that love numbers uh, mm. in the morning and in the evening, uh, to political scientists, to philosophers and anthropologists and uh, psychologists. So, wow. so a, a mixed bag of nuts, basically. I find it um, funny to, to speak with people that are more logically minded opposed to feeling and then the opposite as well when you're speaking with somebody about their happiness which i think you probably do quite a lot it happens um <laughs> do you notice that some personality types are more open and susceptible to numbers and stats and some are more open and susceptible to feeling and emotional terms yes <laughs> wouldn't it be great if we could have the the mix <laughs> are people normally leaning more one way than the other or do, they, do you find there's a lot of middle ground i think it, i mean we use numbers a lot where mm. i am yeah and we do that because we want to have political impact because we want to have conversations about policy and about how we design society and how we design policies and in my experience, we have a better conversation with policymakers and with politicians if we can put some numbers on the table. Mm. I mean, some of these things, you knew this before I told you, right? A lot of these things, you know, yes, relationships matter, right? Thank you, big data, for that nugget of wisdom. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I think... Some people, and especially people in political power, are comforted by numbers and by yeah. evidence and can better engage in a conversation and hear arguments around numbers and regression analysis and data than what I think or what we feel. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so that's why we try to have the scientific approach because we are trying to change policies and, and, and society. But some of these things you and I already knew. But I feel that we need the data to sort of have those conversations. Uh, and I feel we need the data also to, to sort of legitimize the science around well-being. We also need the stories to sort of spread the ideas. Uh, so, so in my books, I try to combine the facts and the numbers and the data and the studies with personal stories that fit what we see in the data and, and in the evidence. Because people don't remember numbers, they remember stories. So you, I mean, you are a songwriter, right? You know this. So um, Yeah, the stories help, help us understand, help us connect with it. ACAST recommends LGBTQ plus creators who are making an impact this month and beyond. Tune in for your new favorite show. Hello, I'm Danny Pellegrino, and I host the Everything Iconic podcast. If you're into reality TV and pop culture, subscribe to Everything Iconic, where I break down all of your favorite Bravo shows like The Real Housewives and Vanderpump Rules. I interview celebrity guests and take a bunch of detours along the way. Everyone from Cameron Diaz, Rosie O'Donnell, Daniel Levy, Andy Cohen, Katie Couric, and even Queen icon legend Miss Piggy have stopped by, so you'll never want to miss an episode. You could find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino and subscribe to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, the show with over 23 million downloads on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. So when you're speaking with these politicians, they need those numbers in order to take what you're saying seriously, but in order to take it to somebody else as well. 
you know, so you're kind of giving them like ammunition. If they are on your side, you're saying, here's some ammunition to go to whoever and make this happen. If happiness doesn't end in their goal being met, I don't think they're going to listen. I think they like, unless it ends in them being reelected, winning at something, because it's a competition, I suppose. And these people are very competitive, very diligent, very like headstrong type of people. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in that position. So it's your job to kind of convince them this is going to help you in this, which will help the people. And ah, I need to speak to some politicians to really get a good feel on this, but I feel like their goals are different. You know, they they are slightly different to what maybe mine would be. Um, I just want everyone to smile. But they have to think about all of everything, you know, clean water, right. you know, keeping everybody in, in work, the police, yeah. <laughs> you know, all the laws. Right. They have to think of so many other things other than just us going, oh, I had such a lovely day. You know, <laughs> they have to think much further than that. So all power to you. Well done for, for doing this job because it's... it's it's a big one. But but I mean, clean water and having jobs for people are also important for happiness. So, so Exactly. Right? But I think happiness is a nice metric to understand are we investing our resources in the best possible way? Are we overseeing sources of misery in society? Uh, what can we do to improve quality of life for, for people? Is that by strengthening the economy or strengthening the environment. I mean, yeah. different solutions for, for, for different countries. But, but I think we are all here trying to achieve happiness. And politicians have a role to play in that because they do mm-hmm. influence the quality of the water and what kind of jobs are available. Um, so, so, yeah, we should give them better mm-hmm. tools, better evidence, better data for them to make better decisions that will enable better societies and better lives. And I think that's the role that I'm trying to play in the, in the big scheme of things. That's great. I think it's the most important part of their job. You know, there's, there's a split. It's, it's 50-50, isn't it? You know, they have to do that part of the job. And I don't think that, that that happens, especially not over here right now. There's a real split. There's a real divide. And people are very unhappy. Right. More than I've ever seen. And that is not because of the numbers. That's not because of the jobs, because there's, it's the lowest unemployment that has ever been in America. Yep. So that is not why. It, it's, it's a whole other reason, you know, and it's the feeling that has to be considered. And if they had you, if you were to chat with these people, then maybe they'd be able to reconsider how they address the nation and how they bring the people together and they'd be doing their job properly. Yeah. And I think it's in, in, in that area i think it's it's very good to see that we are seeing more and more indexes also focusing on inequality in well-being so a lot of indexes mm-hmm. follow you know focus on the average within countries uh, when it comes to happiness but i think it's also important mm-hmm. to focus on the distribution of happiness or distribution of well-being is there inequalities in well-being is there inequalities and i think you know one of the reasons why the nordic countries do quite well in happiness rankings is a large level of equality mm. between men and women, between rich and poor, uh-huh. that your quality of life is not based on to the same extent we see in, in other countries globally, whether you mm. were born into a rich family or not. And I think, I think there is a relatively good understanding in the Nordic countries of the value of the common good that my happiness is also depending on whether my neighbors' sons and daughters can go to university or not. And I think that's perhaps what have been lacking in the understanding in a lot of countries where we're seeing uh, a lot of turbulence these days. Mm. Our happiness is linked with everyone else's. Do you have children? Not yet. I think you'd be an amazing dad. <laughs> you're so good at explaining everything in such a wonderful kind compassionate way i think it's going to really help everyone thank you i think it obviously already has because you've been doing it for such a long time but i wish you all the best in it i hope that it does continue to change the world thank you joss i think it already has (laughs) and tell me about do you have a dog i've got two 
I lost one of my oh, babies sorry, a little while ago, but I've got two and um, I love them so much. They bring me so much happiness. Oh my God, they're the best. <laughs> Honestly, I really love them. It's, it's actually crazy. And when I'm not with them, when I'm on the road, I miss them a lot and I feel like they're there. I'm always looking around my feet. Right. I actually changed my schedule because I didn't want them to forget me. So I don't leave for longer than a few weeks now. I used to leave for ages. I'm like, nope, I don't want them to forget. Well done, well done. They're my babies. Are, are they a special breed or just a mix of everything? I have Maggie, who is a mix, and Igor is an Ovchaka. He's actually a Russian mountain dog. Igor, wow. Yeah, Igor, yeah. He's 130 pounds. He's as big as me. He is a big dog. He's a monster. <laughs> I love him though. He's great. And my little Dusty, she was a teacup poodle. So she was like this big, tiny. And then I had a Rottweiler. Oh, they're the best. Brilliant. So animals make people happy. I know that because I experienced it. Yeah. Have you got a dog? No, I really want one. You have one. to get a dog. Yeah, I know. Hey, you have to remember your happiness. Yeah, but also the happiness of the dog, right? Because like you, I, I, I travel a lot and I would have to leave them at home. And, yeah. No, that's okay. You'll have, a, you'll have a friend that will help you with it. Like when you have an animal, and I do travel a lot and I have done my whole life, you have to have a support system. Your friends and your family, it's like when you have a baby. So you obviously take them with you. But when you have a family, it takes a village, doesn't it? It's not just one person. Everybody gets involved. My mum looked after my Rotty when she was a puppy and she was chewing on her furniture, but she didn't mind because it was my baby. She was like, okay, Jossie, I'll look after Missy. Okay. You know, so maybe you could have an office dog. It would immediately be promoted to chief happiness officer at the office. Totally. It would. Maybe a beagle. Beagles are really soft and sweet and they make noises like, oh, and they actually sing. <laughs> They literally sing. It's amazing. Yeah, you should do it. All right. Listen, I promise I'll get a dog. Yes. Eventually. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I take promises very seriously. Okay, darling. Thank nice you for talking you, to Jess. me. Have a nice uh, take day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, wasn't he a great guy? And bless him for asking about my dogs. So sweet. I hope he does meet one soon. I hope he has his own dog soon. We all need dogs in our life. A little bit of love oh, and a little bit of slobber. His latest book is called The Key to Happiness. How to find purpose by unlocking the secrets of the world's happiest people. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Maybe it will bring them a little bit of happiness. Thanks to the producers Richard Willen and Sam Brown at Fascinate Productions. And of course, to every one of you that's listening, thank you so much. Catch you again next week. Take care. I would like to thank our wonderful sponsors, Walida. They make beautiful products in a beautiful, kind and caring way. I'd like to tell you about my bath time. I know it's odd, not something we normally discuss, I've always said my favourite way to chill out and relax is to put on some nice chill music, put on a little candle and have a nice hot bath. So Walida have this bath milk. They've got a few bath milks. One of them is called Arnica Post Exercise to help ease your muscles. Lavender to ease your mind and prepare you for a lovely night's sleep. And the pine is when you need something to wake you up. I do think pine is turning into one of my favourite scents at the moment. You feel like you're outside in the forest. So if you're a bath person, this is for you. Walida's bath milks. They are really nice. If you want to learn more, please go to walida.co.uk. There's loads going on over there.